This is the VIP Podcast, Virginia in Politics. Let's listen to host Chris Saxman explore the personalities and policies that connect the Commonwealth. The VIP Podcast is brought to you by the VCTA, Broadband Association of Virginia, and Virginia Free. The views and opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the VCTA and Virginia Free or our sponsors. All right, this is Chris Saxman on the VIP Podcast, brought to you by VCTA, the Broadband Association, and Virginia Free, of which I am the executive director. Congratulations, Delegate Kerry Coiner. You're a VIP. Oh, wow. That's great. Well, it's, uh, it's Virginia <laughs> in Politics. That's the podcast. I like it. Okay. Available on YouTube, share and subscribe, and also on Spotify and Apple for all your social media needs. Wonderful. But it's great to have you here. Thanks for having How's me. How's session going? It's going really well. Having a lot of success around a lot of bills and um, I tend to focus my legislation on folks who I think need the most supports in our community, and so I feel good about progress we're making. Yeah, I, I, we talked before, and I want to get into your recovery uh, issues, helping out uh, drug addicts and get them out of because we had a situation in our family. It's very you know, these things are very personal when they're when they're when they're involved with them. But let's talk about Carrie Corner, the person, more than anything else, right yeah. now, so people get to know you a little bit sure. better. Uh, what are your favorite books? Uh, my favorite book. So I am a huge Toni Morrison fan. And oh. so um, I actually was did almost... Did you discuss a- that with the governor? <laughs> I did not. But um, big um, African-American um, female literature. I took a lot of courses um, in undergrad, really became passionate about female authors um, my okay. senior year of high school. So um, big for me. Um, so Toni Morrison, any other authors that spring to mind or in that genre? Um, y- you know, of course, Maya Angelou. Okay. Um, and then I... Got a thumbs up from our camera over here. Yeah. And um, so really love female authors. Um, okay. I think for a long time, they were very underrated, um, not chosen as books and that we read a lot. And so I've enjoyed more and more female authors. What's the so one book you would about. recommend for anyone who wants to explore that genre? Um, you know, I'll say Beloved because that'll get you in trouble with the, with the third floor. Beloved is a good book. I actually think Toni Morrison's Bluest Eye. Um, okay. You know, it's interesting because it was based off of a real interaction Toni Morrison had with a little girl. Oh. And she sat down with her and was talking about whether or not God existed. And the little girl, you know, told her she didn't think that God did because she had been praying every day for blue eyes. And um, so it's interesting that you, um, you know, if you listen to some of the podcasts and interviews right, right, of right. Toni Morrison and her background and, and to why she wrote that book, right, right, right. Um, really insightful. So. Okay, great. Uh, favorite movies? Uh, favorite movies. So I like superhero movies. So I'm big into our, all of our Marvel um, superheroes and I enjoy a good superhero story. So What's your I, favorite superhero? Um, I love Captain America. Okay. I'm a big fan of Spider-Man. Okay. I'm... On the opposite side, not as much a fan as some of our female superhero movies. Yeah, it's a little opposite of my book genre. Uh, I don't know. I I I just have always really. I think probably because Batman and Spider Man were kind of like grew up with them. Yeah, and it kind of became what you were you really followed. And so as an adult, seeing all the new movies that they're coming out with and remaking them is fun. Having experienced on the front end some of that. Right, right, right. So so. uh, favorite TV shows. What are you watching these days? Oh. Aside from the VIP podcast, available YouTube, <laughs> Spotify, and Apple. Um, so I love Ted Lasso. I mean, thank you. I mean, Finally, my first my first contestant <laughs> to win the award for the best TV show. If I, I saw the first season eleven times. You can rewatch it over and over again. Quotes to last you a lifetime. Forever. Yes, yes. Love Just Ted Lasso. Favorite so character good. on Ted Lasso. Um, favorite character on Ted. I love Ted Lasso. So I mean, you just. 
you know, I kind of live my life that way. Sometimes people say you're rainbows and unicorns and sunshine and the world isn't always that way. But yeah, I think if not. we, you know, look at it that way enough, we okay. tend to bring some people along with us. And right, I think right. Ted Lasso is a good example of that. So he's kind of my spirit animal. Your spirit animal oh, is yeah. Ted Lasso. <laughs> mine, mine, mine was uh, is the angry, angry, it was the football or the... Um, the angry English English guy. There. Yeah. Which one was that? Um, not Nate. Um, um, Roy. Roy. Yeah, Kent. Roy. Yes. He, he was more of my spirit animal. <laughs> There's actually a pastor online, Adam Hamilton, who did an interview with the uh, about about the coach that Ted Lasso is based off of. You should go online and find it. It was a really interesting interview. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, sports teams, cultural stuff you follow more than anything else. What do you? What do I'm you a like? huge VC Rams fan, okay. um, and I'm loving watching this young team really develop and find their own space. And it's been really okay. fun to watch. So they had a great game against um, Rhode Island. They've had a couple of rough games, but um, I'm looking forward to the showdown VCU versus Richmond, and it'll be fun. When so. is that? Um, it is coming up, I think, on the 18th, February 18th, I think is when it is. Is that at VCU? It's at VCU. Now, are you a graduate of VCU? I'm not. I'm a graduate of U of R Law School, but I'm a Rams fan. I know. We so, should, probably should put that out under, there on air. Under, UVA. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And you're a practicing attorney or not? I am. You are an attorney? Yes. Okay. And this is that's your primary business? You're, yes. So I'm off-season. almost celebrating my 20th year. Um, wow. Yeah. So yeah, 20 years I've been in the same law firm and, and your, love what, it. What field? Uh, I do a lot of small business, um, so I help people set up um, limited liability companies and work through planning. Um, I do a lot of complex easements, so helping figure out how parking lots connect with one another and roadways, a lot of real estate transactions and land use. Your own own law firm? I do. I have my own law firm. Coiner and Associates, what's the... uh... It's Rudy Coiner, Attorneys at Law. So the gentleman with the last name Rudy who hired me in 2002, he passed away in 2007, but kept his name. And people call asking for my father or my husband, neither of which could help practice law. So they get me. They think Rudy Coiner is the man there. But you get this lady. Okay, it's not Rudy Coiner. (laughs) Exactly, no. Okay. (laughs) That would would make a little sense. It might be time for a change. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, uh, Carrie Corner, great to see you here. Delegate from the 67th, yeah. 62nd, now the 62nd. 75th. It district. will be the 75th, yes. A little Same. change in dist- redistricting. Did you pick up any, you picked up some new precincts. Did you pick up any other incumbents? <clears throat> I did not. So, you know, one of the um, benefits of living, as people have told me when they came visit me, what feels like in the middle of nowhere <laughs> is that no one else is really close to you. So, my district doesn't have anyone else in it. I'm still really excited. I get to represent um, my home county of Chesterfield, my beloved city of Hopewell, kept the entire city intact. And I'm picking up some communities in Prince George County. And so I can't wait to get to know um, some of the additional folks who I'll get the honor of representing. So look forward when session ends to getting out in the community and getting to know my new constituents in Prince George. Plus Fort Lee. I I added the Fort Lee military base. Fort Lee. Okay. Um, Which is primarily a logistics training facility, isn't it? Yes. Yes. That's, a, that's a big one for Peter's. A lot of school, a lot of folks in and out learning new skills and okay, um, retraining and yes, so a lot of learning happening there. Workforce development, mm-hmm. that's exciting stuff. Um, you're on appropriations, education, and general laws. That's, that's not a small workload. No, I've been really busy, but learning a lot. You know, I think how did you get on appropriations? This is your second term. I'm somewhat jealous. Having served four <laughs> terms and never made it to the final even vetting process of getting on appropriations. I am learning a lot. You know, I think it says a lot for our leadership team and ensuring that there's depth of folks who have a lot of experience. You know, we have members who have a lot of experience who are there, but then right. allowing us to walk alongside and learn some new skill sets. Okay. Um, I think it was really smart planning on all of our various committees. You know, we have folks who've been there a long time and then sprinkle in some folks with a little bit of experience, but not as much as others. 
um, so that we can all help one another learn. And so I've been really blessed to learn from folks um, who are, you know, we have great colleagues around here who are willing to help us learn. Right. We make mistakes because we're new to committees, but figuring out the process. So. What, what's your takeaway from the <laughs> session so far? I mean, um, we're almost a crossover, that it's crossover weekend, and everything's got to be ready by Tuesday for final final voting on uh, third third reading on, mm-hmm. I guess, Tuesday, is it? Um, what's your sense of the session? If you had to put a theme to it, what would you say this is? Um, I think some of it is bringing us back to some balance. You know, I think what we heard from folks in the election um, was that the pendulum swung too far on some issues in different directions. So okay. I think you're seeing some calm, which is good. But the Republicans um, are now the, the majority in the House. They haven't swung it hard the other way. Did right. They, did they learn that lesson? I do. Has you know, it come I, up in caucus I, like we're not going to overreach I, here? I do think, you, you know, can we heard. You friends out I, if you want to. I do think that we've heard from people. Who, who, who? <laughs> you know, I know better, Chris. <laughs> You know, I, I do think it's just a podcast. No one's paying attention. I do Smile think the camera most, when you say it. whose name? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> terrible. I do think when you were out, when we were out talking to folks, um, they just want some balance. And, right. you know, I tell people all the time and in, in public education in particular, um, we have swung ping, pendulums on issues right. throughout the years. And if we would just hold steady and get our SOQs um, right and help. Um, standards of quality. Yes, yeah, standards of quality. Sorry for the acronyms. That's okay. Um, and get our teacher that, that, pay. That refers to our K through 12 system. Correct. Um, you know, I think we'd see a lot of progress made if we could we could take a step back. And so you're finding more balance. What I'm what I'm seeing is a, a la- almost a lack of intensity. I don't know. You don't. Do you think it's just as intense as it was last year? Um, I think the intensity is focused maybe, around. Maybe I don't doesn't get out of the walls. So I think it's more getting work done. So you know, if you look at well, for example, intensity from a partisan perspective, I don't um, see a lot of fireworks. True. Is that, I would is agree that with fair? That. Less, lot less fireworks. I would say that a is lot fair. less. Oh yes. Okay. And and I think Why from do you that, think pers- that is? Well, I think from that perspective because we figured out there's a lot of hard work that needed to be done, and I think when you're down and you're working really hard on the issues that you heard from people need to be addressed. You don't leave a lot of time for all the other things that end up, you know, creating some of the, the fireworks, you would call them around here. So, you know, we've been working on some really hard issues. Right. Um, you know, like literacy is a huge example of that. You know, it's I not started, a hot button issue, though. But it should be. And it I think be, of course, um, a former teacher myself with four kids and we've we've gone <clears> through the, the education. I don't want to say wars, battles, uh, skirmishes over the years and seen a lot. And I read your uh Op-ed in the Richmond Times Dispatch you co-authored with uh, Jennifer McClellan, Glenn Davis, and Louise Ma- Lucas. Louise Lucas. Mm-hmm. So there's there's bipartisan uh, support all on the eastern part of the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there's a there's a split in what people's perception of public education is. The, the Northern Virginia delegation seems to think things are really good in education. Uh, you go to the rest of the state, it's, it's not so. What, what are you seeing in that division? Um, I don't think there's division there. I think there's varying degrees of focus on issues that are important. So I wouldn't say that there's a division on that. Like, um, or a d- divide, David- but a divide on the uh, literacy. I mean, certain parts um, of the state have higher levels of literacy. I think you have folks like Delegate Carrie Delaney, who's been very focused on literacy, and she's not from the eastern side. Delegate David Bulova okay. um, has so they been are very engaged. involved. Oh, they're very engaged. Okay, the Northern Virginia delegations. Because when I looked at that, yeah. that editorial, I was like, well, here's... Coiner from Hopewell and Chesterfield. You have Glenn Davis, Virginia Beach. You have Jen McClellan from Richmond. You have Louise Lucas. It's all 64 east of Richmond, essentially. Yeah, no, I would say we're very unified on it. You know, when you look at, if you go look at our chief um, co-patrons in the house, every region of the state was represented in our chief co-patron of that bill. 
intentionally. You know, mm -hmm. we have Delegate Wampler, who's from Southwest Virginia. He's right. a chief co-patron. You have um, David Bulova, who's on there. Um, you have Skylar Van Valkenburg, who's in the Richmond area and a teacher. So we, we stayed in communication um, before session started about the importance of our early literacy. Mm -hmm. You know, even before COVID, we saw a huge dip for the first time. We had been not improving at all in literacy. So it was and we saw a big COVID, dip. Saw this, we saw a big the, dip. The and then numbers when, were dropping off. Numbers were dropping off. And then wow. when COVID hit, it was even, yeah, just, right. And so it really became, for those of us who are not, you know, the, the issues that folks right. are talking about, really talking about the underlying, what is really gonna move the needle for kids and families, right. we had to give that time and attention. So it really started working on that over the summer and working on a bill that would really move things for children and right. for families. And and yes, our bill is very much focused on pre-K through third grade, but if we can get that right for reading, it opens up the doors for our, you know, through oh, it's 12th a big, grade. It's a big shift, but in today's political world, and today's <clears throat> construct, you know, you don't go home and back to your local Republican community and go, we're working on literacy, and they go, I do. Ah, of course you do. <laughs> a ray of sunshine over here. But but I mean, our politics are very corrosive. They're, they have been. I mean, is, it, is this a way to you know, create a more constructive bipartisan approach to governing and yet still keep, you know, people passionate about uh, what's going on in their government? Yeah, I think it's a way that we start instilling fireworks in people where the fireworks need to be. You know, if I told you that almost 80% of our children in kindergarten through second grade were behind in reading in Virginia right now, fire alarms should be going off, right? Right. right. But because, um, you know, it's not a sexy headline sometimes in the, in the newspaper to talk about, and we don't want to oftentimes talk about things that aren't going well. You know, I think that's one of the things we've, as a you know, education system and as a political system, done a poor job. We want to say that we're doing good, right, in certain areas. And we have a hard time sometimes saying we're not doing well because we don't want to point fingers at where it broke, right? Who, well, the, who the, was at fault? My, but my wife assigns it as a, a, we live in a, a culture of shame and blame. Mm -hmm. or blame and shame. And we have to move past it. We, have, we can't just go, yeah, because whenever we say something's wrong in the education system, everyone you know, hides. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't want to talk about this. Because I thought one of the greatest mistakes that Governor Northam made in the pandemic was, and for education, was not uh, a call to arms to just get the kids to read books mm -hmm. and, and really lead a discussion like the Toni Morrison novels you spoke of and the Maya Angelou's or whomever. But if you just get kids reading about something about which they're passionate, you know, that, that solves a lot of problems if you get an educated society. Um, so I, I, I mean, a former teacher, yeah, I get it, yeah. but from a political perspective, that's a tough brochure. I don't think so. You don't think? I don't. You know, I think a lot of parents and being able to watch their kids at home during COVID and seeing what the struggles for our teachers and conveying information via online learning and then seeing the lack of um, supports that our teachers have in going back to school. Right. I think it's really opened the eyes of a lot of parents and in, in a positive way, the silver okay. lining of online learning so, and COVID. So, so in, a, in a sense, perhaps, not putting words in, that the COVID that came through and all the online learning exposed a lot of cracks in our education foundation. I think it did. I think it's fair to say. I think it Again, is without fair to blame say. shame, it is exactly. what it is. It's a large institution. Um, people were, I think, comfortable thinking that their kids were getting a good education. They dropped their kids off. It's a well-funded school. It's a new building, maybe. You know, we get comfortable in it. And, and, right? and, you, and, you, and you look at the rankings. Oh, Virginia is number one, or you know, the top five public school systems in the country. And then you do this online learning stuff, and you kind of go, "What are you teaching my kid?" Mm -hmm. 
And I think that opened the door for the conversation to occur because the conversation was now inside the home. Exactly. Is that what you're seeing back in the district as yes, well? Yes, I do. So I solving these problems is actually a pretty vibrant political opportunity. It is, and I think if we have to keep focusing on it. You right. know, what we heard from folks about kids going back to school, you know, we had some bills that came through about behaviors and things happening in the buildings. Sure. And I said, you know, all your bills that you want to bring forward on all these individual fixes, it's really a principal mentor and a teacher mentor problem. Right. You know, if we really want the best principals, we need folks who can help mentor to bring up the next really good principal. Right. It's a building management issue. Right. You know, for classroom management, you know, I think what we're really seeing highlighted right now is the impact of going from a five-year teaching degree down to a four, mm -hmm. right? We don't give folks as much time to learn that pedagogy and figure out classroom management, and we're seeing the pressures that puts on new teachers. Mm -hmm. And so I, I do think in some ways it's bringing to light um, things we took away or things that we reduced. We didn't think we right. need as much. We wouldn't fund it the same. And um, all the little issues that come up, you can really narrow it down to where the support's needed for teachers who are new, for principals who are growing. Um, so hopefully we have um, continue to work in those areas. Well, I, think, and I think one of the most important elements in education is, you know, is teacher, administrator, and parent. And I think maybe culturally, parents were moved away or moved away from that essential triangle around the child. Well, I think in some ways it's... And now they're trying to re-enter that conversation and they're saying, well, no, we don't really need you or necessarily want you. And when I would go around the schools in my district and I would ask the good schools, what's the key to your success? And they would say, the, the parents. Yeah. And if I go to a school that wasn't performing well, I'd say, you know, what can be done to improve this place? We need more parent involvement. Well, I think in many areas, we went through a time where you had to be an expert in order to help with your child's education, right? Like, I don't know anything about how they're teaching math, so therefore, I'm just going to let them do it, and I won't be involved. Right. I think we went through some of the same thing when we look at our, you know, our faith communities. We started the same thing. Well, that's their Bible teacher. That's right. their Sunday school teacher. Right. That's, I don't know as much about this. And I think what COVID really did, which again, silver lining, I think it showed parents, all right, I I can do this and I'm gonna have to do it. Right. And I think it brought that parent piece of that triangle back into light and really showed us where we had strong parents, it worked. And I think it showed us areas where we need to really build our parents back into that triangle. We need no, to include question. them in I, it. I think so. we're seeing it all over the country. Mm -hmm. uh, let's shift gears to legislation that's a little bit more you know, individualized to you, the ones you care about is on recovery. Tell us about yes. your, uh, your work in the recovery space. So I've carried a lot of legislation um, last session and again this session, helping individuals with substance use disorders, um, really focused around um, last session, really looking at our young people. Um, what we were seeing was a lot of our children dying of suicide or overdose. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of that was because you're faced with, you know, going into a long-term recovery, failing out of school, not getting your diploma on time, or short-term recovery help, going back in school, many children overdosing or right. committing suicide. So we brought a bill for a regional recovery high school pilot to try. I did see that last year. And um, we had start. funding for it. COVID stripped the funding because kids weren't in school. So this mm. year, um, Senator Morrissey and I both put that funding back in to um, get it started. Okay. The legislation has already been passed. And then this year, in addition to that, I've been working um, with our recovery community. You know, when all the opioid money got dropped into our state right. from the feds, um, it was to help our neighbors who are struggling right. on the road to recovery. But we saw some bad actors show up to take advantage of the money that was in our state. Why is that always the case? It's it's, it's so frustrating. So frustrating because you're trying to do good work. Uh, addiction hits so many families, almost every family mm -hmm. at some point in time, they're gonna be in contact with yeah. this 
with this disease. Um, was there a stimulation on your part that said, I'm going to get involved in this for a particular reason? Was it close to you? Did you experience it, you know, on a professional level, perhaps? Like, we need to do something here? I know McShin Foundation is very active in the Richmond area. Yeah, so I've always had, uh, you know, involved with ministry work around um, folks in our community. Our sheriff, Carl Leonard in Chesterfield, um, my office is right next door to his jail. He has a very strong okay, recovery so program. And some dear friends of mine who I went to high school with who were on their recovery journey who still live in the community with me. So our bill this year was focused around um, ensuring that when your loved one is referred to recovery residence, that you are just, it's disclosed to you if it's mm -hmm. its a peer only support house, if there's going to be some level of staffing. Because what we found was that, it, you know, families, their loved one was being going to a home and referred there. They had no idea there was no staff support and their particular level of need, they needed support and right. they, they were dying. They right. found people dead. Um, so our bill really addresses disclosure, um, a certification process in Virginia uh, where DBHDS oversees it, and then really ensuring that homes are protected. Sorry, <laughs> behavioral health that we ensure that the patient of behavioral health yeah, yeah. that that's um, they oversee it, okay. so that you know you feel confident that once your loved one is referred somewhere that you know the level of support they're getting, you know that there's a minimal standard because of the certification right. that they have. And then made it clear that you know our recovery homes are protected by federal fair housing, and um, that made that clear in the law that we brought forward this year. And but also set standards for minimum bedroom space. We saw those bad actors cut up right. bedrooms with way too many people living in them. It wasn't safe. So we used the national standard of 50 square feet um, per individual for bedroom space to ensure okay. that it's safe and quality. Should we be looking at a? a I mean, the word being bandied about for a while is reimagined, but shouldn't we restructure our correctional system to deal with mental health and uh, substance abuse problems in those facilities? Because first and foremost, if they can't get clean, they're, they're not gonna return as productive citizens and we're not gonna deal with the underlying issues. Yes. And the sort of uh, segregate that population to those who, you know, they're, they're there because their brains are you know, clogged up with some really bad chemicals. Yeah, you know, my, my, I completely agree with you. And I think my um, focus has been, you know, I believe in second chances. I believe in um, rehabilitation. And, you know, part of the struggle that folks have who've been incarcerated and have criminal records because of substance use. Right. Um, it's really hard to ever get a fresh start. It's really hard once you're clean because of that criminal record to get good housing. You can't you can't qualify for well, a lot of housing with your record. Leave so many of these getting people. a job. And so you know if we want folks right. who have been rehabilitated, who've committed to continuing their lifelong recovery right. journey, we should be giving them every opportunity to not be tied up with our government through the justice right. system forever. You know there should be a, a, an ability to show that you've recovered and move on. So yes. Um, I'd like to see our, um, you know, drugs and mental health dealt with separate from forever having a criminal record. I think we need to separate those out. I think we have an opportunity with all this increased opioid money that we have to really rethink and maybe stand up a new program and a way to handle these. So hopefully we'll spend some time after session um, figuring well, that out. That's great. Great stuff. Would that level of grace and second chance um, extend also to Nate? and Ted Lasso, because I'm having a hard time <laughs> with his betrayal of Ted, aren't you? I know, that was I a, know. That was a heartbreaking moment. It's so heartbreaking. But you know what's gonna happen in season three. I know. We hope he's gonna walk it back, you know, the the, the prodigal the prodigal assistant he coach. He has to. You, you have to, you right? Have it to. has to come back. Yes. It, that would be a knife in the heart further if he It did. would, he has to come back. You think so? He has to. Okay. 
Well, we hope so. Anyway. Rainbows and sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you need coffee then if you're rainbows and sunshine? This is ridiculous. Oh. This is kind of annoying. <laughs> anyway, Chris Saxman on the VIP podcast. That's Virginia in Politics podcast available on YouTube. Spotify and Apple joining me this morning was Delegate Kerry Corner of the 62nd, now 75th House District. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Chris. Great to see you. Good to see you.